from Luke chapter 2 and verses 22 to 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went in the temple courts when the parents brought their child to Jesus to do for him what was the custom that the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband 70 years after her marriage, and then as a widow until the day she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thanks, Gary. Uh, now, uh, today is a, a little unusual. We're doing a, a short uh, topical series. Uh, we usually uh, just preach through uh, larger sections of the Bible. Uh, so you'll notice uh, in your handouts, you've got a, an outline. On the back of that outline, it's got a few different passages, uh, which we'll refer to as we go through. Uh, so we're not staying exclusively in Luke 2. Let's pray and ask God for his help uh, as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that would see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, of all the ways and things that have changed the world, a baby's got to be the most unusual, doesn't it? Uh, empires change the world, wars change the world, discoveries, inventions and cures change the world, but not babies. I want you to picture that scene that uh, we just read. You've got Jesus, who's a tiny newborn, only eight days old. And somehow, somehow, of course we know how, Anna 
and Simeon, this old prophet and old prophetess, they already know at eight days old that this little baby is going to change the world more than any war or any empire ever will, more than any discovery or invention or cure ever could. Already Anna and Simeon know that this little baby, Jesus, will change the world completely forever. Now these two prophets stood at a very different point in history to us today. Uh, They pointed forward to the change that Jesus was going to make. Whereas we today, in the 21st century, we can look back and see much of the change Jesus has made throughout history. And the simple truth of the matter is, there is no one person and no one thing that has changed the shape of our world so much as Jesus. No one's had a greater impact on world politics than this one man who refused to let politics steer or shape or have any bearing on his life and ministry at all. No one in history has a greater impact on education or scientific discovery than Jesus, who never picked up a test tube and probably never went to a school. No one has had more profound effect on poverty, on fighting poverty and slavery or oppression than this one individual who never led a single campaign against slavery, poverty or oppression. And no one person has ever had more radical impact on so many people's understanding and views on morality, on right and wrong, than Jesus. That one little baby went on to change this world more than anyone or anything in all of human history. And he did it in such an unusual way. A way that the world of his time would not have understood. Enlightenment over aggression. Now, has anyone heard of Caesar Augustus? Uh, He's also known as Octavian. Uh, He was actually the Roman Caesar at the time that Jesus was born. He was the very first emperor of Rome. Uh, He put an end to a long period of civil wars uh, and he brought about 200 years of peace in Rome uh, called the Pax Romana. Uh, He's a man whose reforms and administrative ability Uh, had a really tangible effect on world history. But how did Augustus bring this peace? Well, Augustus's peace came when he waged a 14-year-long civil war, which was the bloodiest and the most destructive and longest in all of Roman history up to that point. Augustus brought his peace by eventually besieging the city of Alexandria and forcing Mark Antony and Cleopatra to commit suicide. Augustus enforced this peace by then executing their eldest children. The tool that Augustus used to change the world was intimidation, force, brutality, power, violence. That's how he brought about his peace. And how did he go about maintaining that peace? You guessed it, the same way. Intimidation, violence, brutality. And Augustus isn't alone here. He's not sort of this one little terrible blip in history. 
he is actually representative of the norm for rulers in every continent and every culture, from Aboriginal tribes to Buddhist monks, from the beginning of human history until now. The common, common agent of change is intimidation and violence. But Jesus blazed a completely different trail, didn't he? Look at how Simeon describes it in verse 32 of our reading. Simeon said Jesus would be a light for revelation. So we know now that through Jesus' sacrificial death and his resurrection, Jesus would make a way for us to be with God. And then Jesus, in doing so, would become the lighthouse, the beacon, which guides us towards God. He revealed who God is. He paved the way and made a way for us to come to God. And he shows us the, the way to God is through trusting in him. He changed the world not through force or intimidation, but by revealing and persuading people that he is the way to God. Jesus, said Simeon, would bring enlightenment, not intimidation. Now, of course, Jesus isn't the only figure in history uh, who has uh, proposed that the way to bring about change is through enlightenment and not intimidation. Jesus is not the first or the only one to choose persuasion over aggression. But Jesus is the only one who is able to make it stick in a big way. Jesus was the only one who used persuasion rather than aggression and was able to change the world by doing so. I just uh, encourage you to turn over the back of your uh, outline there and we'll look at that first passage uh, in Matthew 26. Uh, this was the night that a mob came to arrest Jesus, to take him away, to have him executed. And one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest followers, got ready to fight. And he pulled out his sword and he chopped off someone's ear. And Jesus said, no, stop. Jesus made it very clear that his disciples, his followers, were not to be people who lived by violence. Have a look there. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Sound like a familiar saying? He who lives by the sword will die by the sword? Well, we have that saying because of Jesus. We believe that because of Jesus. In the very next sentence, Jesus goes on to say that he could have easily fought. He could have easily called down legions of angels stronger than any human army. And yet he didn't. Jesus didn't come to take up arms. He came to lay down his life. He didn't come to shed the blood of others. The only blood he came to shed was his own for others, to bring life and bring us to God. Well, just a few weeks later, after his resurrection, Jesus sent these disciples on a mission. It was a pretty massive mission. Uh, it was a mission to make disciples in the whole world of all people, tribe and tongue. And how did Jesus tell them they were to go about doing that? 
We'll have a look there at our second reading. Verse 18, Jesus said, All authority on heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, as Christianity was born, as Jesus' disciples were sent out into the world with the message of Christ, the method of the mission was persuasion, not intimidation. The method of the mission was enlightenment, not aggression. And in our third passage, we see that this is exactly what they did. So have a look there at Acts 18, and you can jump down to the little number four. It's talking about the Apostle Paul. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Persuasion, not aggression. Enlightenment, not intimidation. That was the way that Jesus said the news of Jesus would spread. That is how Christianity has spread to over 1.8 billion people on the planet. And you know what? As this message spread, do you know what spread with it? Literacy, books, education, learning. For the last 2,000 years, Christians have not just been teaching about Jesus, but they've also been teaching people far more. They've been giving people the skills and the tools to be able to learn more about Jesus for themselves, plus a whole lot more. For the last 2,000 years, Christians have been teaching people how to read, opening schools, teaching critical thinking, teaching philosophy, agriculture, economics, science, medicine, politics. It was actually Christian teaching that formed our view in the West that has given birth to democracy. It's Christian teaching that has formed the view of the divorce of church and state and the limitations on government for the good of the people. It's Christian teaching that's laid the foundation for modern science, that's created the culture of free and accessible education for all people. It's Christian teaching that's paved the way for freedoms of speech and religion and multicultural peace and tolerance. It's actually because of Jesus that we think a hostile takeover of another people group is not an okay thing to do. See, Jesus chose enlightenment over intimidation, persuasion over aggression. That is the way of the Christian faith. That is a legacy that we have here in the West. But what about the history books? Uh, what about the, the things that we see that have been done in the name of Christian faith that are atrocities? The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, Charlemagne, the Stolen Generation. We can point to these examples of Christians choosing aggression over enlightenment. 
And doesn't that kind of just disprove the whole theory? Doesn't that prove that Christianity actually at its core is, is bad and wrong? Actually, the contrary. The very reason why we find these so atrocious is because they're so contradictory to what they should be. That people under the banner of a cross, which is sacrificing oneself for the good of others, went out and killed people for their own good, is the exact opposite of everything Christ stood for. The fact that people would take children away from their families, force them to adopt a new culture, and try and shove Christianity down their throats is so atrocious because it's so opposite of the whole process by which people are supposed to come to know Jesus through gentle love and persuasion. Now, compared to other historic conquests, some of these are, these are just par for the course. But when it's done in the name of Jesus, of Christ, of Christianity, we see them as just so completely out of step with, anyone, with the teaching of our Lord Jesus. And, you know, actually, as each of these events, these atrocities were taking place, there were faithful Christians at the forefront of opposing them, pointing out that this is not how Christ wants us to live. This is not how Christianity spreads, not by force. And when we look at these events and when we condemn them, whether we're Christians or unbelievers here in Australia, we actually condemn them from the standpoint of having been shaped by this Christian faith. We condemn them because it's our Christian heritage which has taught us that this kind of aggression and violence is unacceptable in the first place. But what happens uh, as we today get further and further removed from those Christian roots? Well, in Australia, we've actually begun to choose aggression over enlightenment. Now, I don't know if you remember uh, six years back, I know anything before COVID is kind of just rubbed out, but back in 2017, uh, Cooper's Brewery and the Bible Society did a campaign together uh, called Live Light, uh, Keeping It Light, sorry, Keeping It Light. And uh, it didn't last very long, this campaign. It was supposed to go, it didn't make it past the first video. But uh, the Bible Society website at the time explained the whole concept behind this campaign. And the whole, whole point of it was to try and help people have amicable, amiable, friendly, uh, open conversation about hot topics without it turning into a shouting match. Uh, this was on the uh, Bible Society website, uh, talking about the public debate. From yelling matches on ABC's Q&A to screed on Twitter, we just don't seem to be able to talk anymore. Well, ironically, after the first very respectful, very amiable conversation was posted online, the yelling instantly started. Uh, a national campaign was launched around Australia to boycott Cooper's beer. Uh, and the pressure and intimidation over a campaign which was designed to help people have a conversation without shouting at each other 
The pressure and intimidation was so strong that within 24 hours, uh, Cooper's had given an apology and retracted its support of the Bible Society. Now, this is just one tiny little example that points to the reality that we're living in a society that increasingly places more stock in our feelings than in facts, that increasingly says, don't worry about enlightenment and puts the pressure on, the intimidation to try and force and coerce us into towing the, the right politically correct line. See, our public discourse is more about slogans and maxims than with thoughtful learning and approaching the facts and exploring in an open and enlightened way. We see that in our unis where censorship is blossoming in a place where openness and learning and openness to ideas is supposed to be celebrated. We see that in children as young as primary school uh, who are being pressured and, in, and forced to stop meeting in voluntary Christian groups in their schools. We even see it in the medical profession, increasingly pressured to put aside decades of clinical data in order to embrace new ideologies and practices that have huge implications for the lives of individuals in our society. And so while our society is increasingly putting up the blinders, Jesus invites us to see, to open our eyes, to look, to learn. As Christians in this culture of increasing intimidation, we need to still be in the same business of gentle and honest persuasion, loving people, not forcing, but gently enlightening. In our last reading there, you'll find on the back of that page, uh, Colossians 1, a little blueprint which many of you will have heard me go to over and over again, a blueprint for how Christians are to engage with our world. He, that's Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We hold out the truth that Jesus is the one who gives life, the one who brings us to God. He died, he rose, he lives. And we admonish, we encourage, we plead with people to put their trust in him, to turn to him and find life. Well, of all the ways to change the world... A baby certainly is the strangest. And at that, a baby who grew up to choose enlightenment over aggression. That is the pattern that Christ gave us. It is the pattern that we follow.